0: time and we have all lost so very much so many loved ones gone you are not alone there are pockets of resistance all around the planet we are at the brink you have no idea how important you are if you're listening to this
1: you are the resistance
2: everybody stay with sense for them I'm coming at you once again with michael graney and don brohan authors co-authors of the book economic personalism at the cesg website is it.com com or dot org dot org dot org so guys good morning again welcome good morning, good morning. steve so today to we're doing political animal so what is that what uh, explain that to people that think that's what are, what are we talking about
0: well, to start off in a, in, a, in a more human way, I'll let Dawn, because she talks more like a human being than I do. That's so, just it. Michael's not human. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> and I'm not admitting anything.
1: Yes. So Mike's going to give you the historical roots of the term. But one way of describing it is it, it relates to the idea of personalism and the nature of human beings. And it starts with the, the assumption that all of us are human beings in equally as a human being with those characteristics of what it means to be a person. And also, so you have an individual side to each of us. We're unique. I mean, our DNA is completely is different and we live in different circumstances and we been born into different cultures, and we understand things differently. We have different abilities, but there's some things that are inherent to human nature, and in that human nature, you have what would be the individual um, nature of someone and their uniqueness, but you also have the social aspect of human beings that we can't survive without each other. I mean, there are people who think that of themselves as the strong individualist who's made it through life on their own, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. But I would say, well, take a look around you if you believe that, you know, did you make your own clothes? Did you build your own car? Did you build your own house? You know, when you earn a living, was it, did you do that completely by yourself? Do you live in a situation where you can, um, you know what the laws are and that they're punishments for the laws, and and various things like that. And those are products of people from the beginning of human society coming together and developing ways that we all can live together uh, and, and benefit by living together and sharing ideas and, and building tools, etc. So if you understand that we have to take into consideration, we talk about human beings and talk about how we address problems in the world. We have that challenge in that each person is unique. And if you try and apply you know, using the power of government, for example, one overall solution, you could be actually uh, destroying or um, abolishing someone's rights You know if you believe in rights so you have to look at the impact on the the individual you also have to look at the social context is when we come up with a solution it's not to just address one person at a time it's to come up with a solution that changes the environment with which we live with each other so every one of us can thrive so that's when i say political Mike will give you a more specific term, but it is really the recognition of the individual nature of every human being and the social nature. They're both intertwined.
0: Yeah. I almost said essentially again, and I promised I wouldn't keep saying that word. I thought it was basically. They have to switch to basically <laughs> or fundamentally. But when we say, you know, that human beings are both individuals and social, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the binary nature of personalism itself, because personalism is is based on a binary relationship, or actually a, a whole universe of binary relationships. For instance, uh, there are personalism makes a distinction between persons and things. Uh, the rather happily named binary economics distinguishes between labor and capital this does not separate them it distinguishes them there's there's a big difference between the you know saying that they're separate and acknowledging that they are distinct things in and of themselves it's like faith and reason Sometimes in practice you can't separate them. There is a binary relationship between faith and reason. You need both, but they're not the same thing. So that in uh, when we say that human beings are political animals, the, the, the term is Aristotle. Uh, political itself comes from polis, his word for the organized community, the city, That was the ideal of Greek, uh, you know, political life. I mean, the very word political comes from polis, the city. So that Aristotle acknowledged we are both individuals, have an individual nature and a social nature, or as he put it, We have a political nature. We're individuals who, by our nature, organize with other individuals to form a consciously structured social entity called the polis. That's your Greek lesson for the day. Now Now you can say it's all Greek to you and actually know what you're talking about. Now, that is the essence of personalism itself is that you have A binary relationship in which you acknowledge that there are two different things, but they are not separated. They have to go together. That's why when we talk about economic personalism, which is what eventually we're getting to here, we talk about labor and capital. Now, unfortunately, the modern wage system has divided labor and capital. Simply because labor has been turned into a factor of production that the owners of capital purchase in order to help make their capital productive. Labor and capital are no longer joined together the way an individual should be in society. In other words, when we call someone a person, legally, person is a human being defined with respect to his place in society. Uh, In another way, legal way of defining person, it's that which has rights. Rights are what recognize you and cause, and allow you to interact in society. This is why we form artificial persons like corporations so that they have a social identity. I mean, as Father Faree observed in his lectures on social charity, which we won't get into and you can thank me for it later. Uh, the act of organizing itself, in a sense, creates an artificial person. And he, and Father Furry, of course, being a Catholic priest, uh, mentioned Jesus saying that when two or three are gathered together in my name. Now that has its obvious theological means which we won't get into. What Father Faree went into was a sort of subtext on that, which, you know, because almost everything in the Gospels and in the Bible itself has different levels of meaning, as does, for instance, you know, you know Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. I mean, I think they counted seven different levels of meaning. Well, the meaning that Father Faree drew out of what Jesus said about when two or three, are gathered in my name, there I am, or words to that effect. I don't remember the exact quote. Uh, of course, I don't speak Aramaic either. Uh, that what you have is the formation through organization of a certain personality. It's not natural personality, but it comes from organization. It's an art, the creation, in a sense, of an artificial person so that. When we create a corporation in law, what we're doing is legally recognizing this for social purposes so that a corporation through its agents can act as if it were a person. So that what personalism does is recognize we are both individuals and social, a combination that Aristotle called political.
1: Great. And I think another way of saying what Mike just explained is you can, if you compare the words individual and person, you could have an individual who's um, was on a shipwreck and he's floated to a desert island and he's living all by himself and he's got to survive on his own. He's got to get food and shelter, but he's not having to relate to any other human being. So let's say there happen to be ferocious uh, tigers on the island. He's not going to be able to get into any kind of argument or discussion about rights with the tiger. He's either going to be he kill the tiger, the tiger's going to get hit him. So
0: a a very dark place.
1: I'm in a dark place this morning. Yes, but the point is when you talk about persons, and as Mike said, it, it part of the definition has to do with the rights. That, that human being has with in relationship to other human beings or to institutions such as the government. You can only talk about rights in a social context, even if it's, let's say, just one other person or two other people, you're going to have to figure out how you interact in such a way you don't step on each other's toes. And and hopefully, um, if you cooperate together, you're going to have to be able to determine a fair way of dividing the rewards from your common efforts. So person is a very um, distinct term in relationship to the word individual. Now, the other word that's important, and Mike was talking about artificial persons being created by the interaction and organization of people, is institutions. Now, an institution can't exist without people interacting and living within them and having some ongoing relationship to them. Um, but it also is something that goes beyond the individual human beings who are at any moment happen to be interacting in it. For example, just taking a business corporation, you may have several generations of uh, people who work there, the management, leadership, etc. But when they leave, The institution is still there. And part of the reason is that people have in the past organized with each other to decide how we're going to do things together in order to accomplish a particular purpose. So we look at institutions as social tools that are created by persons coming together and organized for a common common goal and setting rules and you know in some cases at a higher level setting uh, creating laws so those are two very fundamental concepts so that we're not talking about for example uh, some people might think that we're talking about talking in socialist terms for example where you got human beings but you 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 don't get as they become part of a collective so they are one aspect of this collective called society or the community or anything else so they're not recognized as individuals with rights that adhere to them as individuals so each person is is supposed to be able to have certain rights with how they are going to operate in society. So we, you know, I I think it's very important that we're not in any way diminishing the uniqueness and, you know, as each person is a special creation that's never been here before and there will never be another creation exactly like each of us. So this is just saying as Father Faree, when he mentioned that in his introduction to social justice, he acknowledged that it was going to really upset people who consider themselves individualists. And he was not saying individualists are immoral in any way or you know something bad about them, but he's saying if they were aware of this other additional level, not just their one-on-one interactions with other human beings, but their interactions, for example, with their institutions, the government, all these social creations and organizations. I mean, it could just be the company they work for. Then they would start to see that their rights and powers are very much dictated or constrained or enhanced by the organization of the institutions and so when an institution is sort of creating artificial barriers to everyone's ability their, their equal opportunity to develop and contribute then there's something wrong with that institution that needs to be corrected and here's another part of personalism and and social social justice justice is that each of us as isolated individuals can't change an institution or society we can only do it by interacting and organizing with other human beings and so that there's this new way of looking at people and the world and problems that when we talk about economic personalism we're looking it's a way of identifying problems with that level of human activity that just deals with survival and security needs. It's, you know, it's not the most important, but it's definitely the most urgent. And when we detect, for example, you know, just enormous levels of poverty in the world, and you see power concentrating in a few hands, and pretty much not existing for most of the population in the world, something should tell you that you know, that means 90% of humanity can't really exercise rights that they are. These are supposed to be universal things. And the reason is not from necessarily a lack of ability on their part, but they are within a social organization that needs to be corrected. And so in terms of economics, when Mike mentioned, you know, the, the concepts that um, Marx, for example, was looking at labor and capital. Now, when you think about it um, today, maybe not as much as 30 years ago, that when people referred to labor, uh, they were talking about human beings providing their work. Labor means a person. Capital means the person who owns the things or owns the companies which employ the labor. So you always you have what you created were two sets of human beings who were always at at odds and in a mortal competition. Rather than, as we view it in economic personalism, these are just two productive things that each person should be able to contribute to whatever extent they can in terms of their labor and also in terms of their ownership of capital so we've now rather than defining person as labor that's just one economic labor is just one activity human beings do there's much more to us so if you define someone as your labor you've dehumanized them you've limited them to just their economic function so we look at labor and capital as simply two things that each of us must be able to own
0: I, I should mention that, you know, as, as a reminder, when we say personalism, we're referring to the personalism of John Paul II. Yes. Uh, the, the Thomistic personalism that I can't pronounce in Polish. Uh, but there are, as Jacques Maritain said in, at one point or another, it said there at, were at one point dozens of different personalisms floating around. So we're very specific that we mean the personalism as articulated by John Paul II in his, in his work.
2: So what's up with the idea of merely members of the collective? Um, are we part of the board? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean when you bring that up?
1: Well, I think you do, when you talk about a collective, that's an abstract concept. And in a sense, um, a corporation is a form of a collective in that it's this abstraction that allows people and things to come together to produce goods and services. There's no flesh and blood corporation. It is something that exists in the laws, and you know people actually are um, acting within it. So that notion of we're part of the collective to us doesn't make sense we may create these abstractions which are you know they're collective things they're they're they are abstractions but we are the creators of those institutions not the other way around even though those institutions can affect us as human beings they can either enhance our opportunity and abilities and development or they can constrain or limit us or for some people exclude locked you down <coughs> did i say that
2: out loud yeah.
0: yeah one of the things you have to realize is that especially within the context of personalism and this is where i found that even though they use different words Once you realize the way they were using them, they were agreeing, Fulton Sheen and Mortimer Adler, you know, the great books philosopher, stressed, you know, to the point of redundancy sometimes, that they were basing their philosophies and their whole approach on Aristotle, not Plato. Not that Plato didn't say a lot of good things or do a lot of good things, but According to Sheen and Adler and Aquinas and a number of others, Plato made one big mistake. That was to assert that the abstractions, the ideas that human beings create in their own mind have an existence independent and separate from, independent of, and separate from the human minds that create them. This is like the collective, the capitalist elite the socialist bureaucracy, the state, even the church. All of these things are abstractions. They have absolutely no existence apart from the human minds that create these ideas. This is not to say they're not real, but they're not the same as actual natural persons. I mean, it's you know, in Catholicism we refer to the mystical body of Christ as the church. That doesn't mean that the church itself has an independent existence Is That any more than the government of the United States or Congress or even the corner grocery store or anything else. None of these have an existence independent of human beings. They only exist and are meaningful because human beings exist. You can't separate them. Right. You, I'm sorry. Yeah. Even though, you know, this is where we get into the, the binary aspect again. For analytical purposes, we speak of these things as separate and distinct. But in reality and in practice, if we do not recognize that, you know, people and things go together that individuals as social beings and individuals as individual beings, they're the same person. I mean, excuse me, they're the same human being (laughs) starting to to mix up my, my language there. Uh, So that, and I, I I started to get off. I, I forgot the point I was making, but it boils down to that. Even though you, you know, for instance, you can separate for, analytical purposes, justice and charity, and institutions and human beings. And you have to, to understand them properly. In practice, they have no separate, institutions have no existence separate from human beings. Another way of describing institutions is social habits, you know, accepted ways of doing things, whether, you know, established by law, custom or tradition. And when they got off track, it's up to human beings, not God or this amorphous the state or another institution to correct it. This is why when Father Farid talked about social justice, he said, it is a individual responsibility of every single human being to care for the common good. And when something is wrong, to organize with others to correct it. It's... We just you don't can't just sit back and say, "Well, gee, somebody else ought to fix that or something," you know.
1: But Father Free was also very practical in that he, you know, he acknowledges that while we have a personal responsibility to care for the common good, which has many levels to it, none of us as individual human beings can, you know, address the entirety of the common good. It's it's too large. It's too complex but we can affect and organize to correct every level in which we're living and operating in. So if we're part of an organization, we have to look at where there are certain areas where people may be denied equal opportunity or equal access to participate and contribute, or maybe the distribution of rewards is not set up in a fair and a just way Then we have to look at, okay, something within this institution that we're part of, we know this institution, um, we we have to then figure out what needs to be changed. Uh, Another interesting thing about institutions or these, you know, their collective abstractions, like the corporation, for example, they have no I guess it would de- depend on what they put into their articles of incorporation, but basically corporations, uh, they, they don't die. As long as you've got human beings interacting or using them, they, they, have, they continue in perpetuity. And what that does, it, it means that it's not any specific individuals who are essential to be existing in order for this, now this entity, that this abstract entity to continue. It becomes, as Mike says, it's it's human, it's habits, social habits, which have become embodied in this thing we call the corporation, which we use as a tool in order to efficiently produce goods and services. When one group moves on, dies, retires, or whatever, you can, as long as you can have new human beings come into that organization and be hopefully taught what the values and the rules are of the organization, then you can continue the organization and it can continue to um, produce or create things of value. So that's also why things like corporation, I think uh, there's been people associate them now with either Um, You know, this is something that's powerful and and necessary and able to do miraculous things. But also, a lot of people view the corporation as some, it's an evil thing that owns and uh, controls and dictates how the world operates. It's these corporations that are controlling things. Well, we have to remember that these things don't have a life in and of themselves it's really gonna be the people who own them are going to be using them as social tools and they can pretty much dictate how those tools will be used. So that's another reason in economic personalism that it's essential for our institutions, particularly economic institutions, that you don't have concentrated ownership, that the power that comes with ownership needs to be diffused
0: To the level of each human being. Yeah and this segues in a manner of speaking into the distinction between individual justice and charity and social justice and charity. See as individuals we are required to act virtuously so that if we see a situation uh that's individual in nature we fix it you know one-on-one you know if people are hungry you know the corporal acts of, of mercy if someone's hungry you feed them if someone's dirty you wash them if someone's in prison you visit them you know this sort of thing i wouldn't bring up if someone's dead you bury them but that's that, <laughs> uh but social justice is different a lot of people have the idea that what social justice is is if you've got widespread individual problems then social justice comes in and helps the people with those individual problems no what social justice does is make it possible for the problems to be solved because why would the problems be so widespread if there wasn't something preventing them from being solved it it's like that great scene in david copperfield where he runs away from home or school or something i forget which And finds his, I think it's his great aunt, maybe named Bess or something, I forget the name. And he shows up at her house and she has been taking care of this somewhat, we'll say mentally challenged man called Mr. Dick, who is a nice fellow, but he's just not too swift. And so she's she calls in Mr. Dick because she says she can always rely on his advice. And she says, If a dirty little boy shows up at your doorstep and, you know, this sort of thing, what would you do, Mr. Dick? And he looks back and says, why, I should wash him. Right there, that's individual justice or charity. But then what the aunt does is arrange for David Copperfield's education and social interaction with others and makes it possible for him to grow and develop as a human being. Mr. Dick was, you know, individual justice and charity. Here's a problem. Let's fix it. He went straight to the heart of the matter. He wasn't bothered by any of these esoteric theories or anything else. He saw a problem, do something about it. The aunt said, well, I don't know if she said it or not, but what she did was arrange for David Copperfield not to be dirty and tired and hungry in the future by helping him get educated and connecting him with the right sort of people so that he could get a job and that sort of thing.
1: So here's um, just really quickly, cause I know Steve has other questions. Um, another way to look at this is when you're looking at the problem of poverty and the way that um, most politicians and and most voters are gonna think of how you address poverty. You see poor people and you give them something. You know, you give them maybe food, you give them um, cash in order to, to buy things. And that is actually a form of at least individual charity. If in, in some cases you may call it individual justice. But the problem is it doesn't change the conditions in which people can develop and become prosperous on their own in order to get that they're no longer poor. So when we look at economic personalism and dealing with problems in terms of social justice, so we're we're not talking socialism here, we're talking social justice, which is the ordering of all these institutions and laws in such a way that everyone has access to develop their to their their potential, that no one is excluded, that they are built they have the right and the access in order to use these various social tools so that they can develop. So when we look at economic justice and economic personalism, we have to say Okay, if power is being concentrated in ownership, which is what and allows people to have an income that they are that it gives them the rights to the income from what is produced if they own the thing, then poverty. If we're going to deal with that on a systemic level, we have to look at what are the the barriers that are keeping the ordinary person or any person in society from being able to own things that can produce an income you could say well they own their own labor well when you had slavery people didn't even have that someone else owned their labor they owned their bodies even but now today where we see that we're up against advanced technology and robotics and artificial intelligence and these things aren't going to go away. I mean, unless we have a, you know, a nuclear holocaust and we blow away you know our, our factories and I'm going back to that dark
2: place now, but. I, um, I, I'm all for EMP if it doesn't take out everybody.
1: Uh, yeah, well, so if we took away all of our technologies, okay, um, that's one thing, but the likelihood is human beings being creative and also human beings always trying to figure out how to do you know get a greater result with less effort less work i mean that's when you think about technology that's what human beings are trying to do is do more with less yes. so, so given
0: mr fuller called ephemeralization doing more with yeah. less and yeah. say, you know put it into his whole economic theory
1: yeah so if that's the case that we're approaching this whole question of technology in the wrong way, in other words, moving more towards government redistributing the incomes from the owners of these technologies to make sure everyone else doesn't starve, you know, that is still not changing the the environment, the social and institutional environment. That's what we have to start thinking about, is how do we create livable social environments, livable economic environments that enable every person to acquire the things that they need to produce an income so that they are self-sufficient. They're not getting, they're not dependent on the government and they should not be dependent on private employers either. They should be able to come in as empowered free individuals who are able to make choices and if you don't have a situation where people are able to make choices and you know pick among various employers where they want to work then they're not free if the government tells you that you must work in this line of work and you you're never going to get out of that then that person is not free that person is owned so we're looking at the you know the importance of ownership and as we sum it up um, in four words, own or be owned.
2: And full disclosure on my EMP statement before anybody loses their mind. Yes, I'm for the, an EMP to take out all this nasty tech stuff that's coming out. I'm not for an EMP to take out planes and hospitals and all that, just in case
1: somebody thinks I'm some
2: evil guy back here. And yes, I understand we bring us back to the 1800s in tech, and maybe we need to get back to that. But yeah, Dawn brings up a point with the all this, the bleeding heart libs are all caring about the poor. If you go to the World Economic Forum YouTube channel, you'll see a ton of those videos. How do we how do we eliminate poverty? How do we eliminate the poor? How do we feed the hungry? They don't give two rips about the poor, the poverty, anything like that. As they just came out saying they want you to eat worms. So communism is about lowering the playing field down, not raising anybody up. So we'll all be equally poor. And that would be our, uh, I guess you say, being in the... Uh, uh, what's the uh, what's the word we're using right now? Uh, collective. The the collective needs to be equally garbage, I guess. Uh, well, as you mentioned about corporations, to... corporations need to have virtue. Stop being greedy. Uh, problems in the third world nations. Usually, it's the government keeping the food out. And uh, I remember somebody had a great one about India. Well, if you stop worshiping cows, you can eat the cow. <laughs> so. Even theology
0: can pre- can make somebody very poor. What were you going to say, Mike? Uh, I was just going to say that don't you understand that, I, I forget the name, the, the Fellowship of the New Life that formed in 1883, that, formed, that then formed the Fabian Society, it was going to bring the perfect life on earth by pacifism, the simple life, and vegetarianism. This will create the kingdom of God on earth. Because the new Christianity is nothing but socialism. The socialism and Christianity are interchangeable terms, according to the Fellowship of the New Life, anyway.
2: Yeah, they're trying to resurrect that one right now. I I
1: think, Steve, you know, what you were saying um, really is not a question of is technology by itself, is it good or bad? It's, you know, how you use it you know, now you can look at the, the purpose for which something is created. Is it something that's designed to hurt other people? You know, then then we got a problem there, um, but it really, we have to look at our tools and our social tools from the standpoint of do they enable us to have full access, equal access to the common good, which means all those social creations. Now, we're not talking about people's private goods, their individual goods that they own. You know, that's part of private property. But when you talk about the common good, that isn't any particular thing, but it is the overall environment in which we can develop fully as human beings. And if any institution is blocking us from that, or if, for example, by being poor and staying, you know, being in a context where you're not going to be able to easily escape poverty that most people around you are going to stay poor because the way the economy is set up you know is is built on faulty assumptions there's something that needs to be changed either in the organization of the common good you know one of the institutions is not you know it's not acting properly and for an example the money system that really has a, hum, you know, a tremendous impact on our economic lives, our economic opportunities, whether we as individuals will indeed have access to capital ownership or not. You know, our laws regarding, you know, private property, you know, are we as owners in a corporation, are we entitled through private property to the full stream of income that our slice of ownership has produced? Well, that's not in the law these days, management has decision over whether, for example, a dividend, which is your share of profits, whether they're paid out to the shareholders. So even in property law today, and this is, I believe, around the world, I don't know if any other countries are more uh, adhere more closely to the principles of private property, but in essence, owners, particularly the minority owners don't have the full rights of property so therefore they are being denied access to something that would help them they that they could make a decision on how they wanted to live their lives so i i think that um i'm going to just assume that most people you know whether they call themselves liberals or conservatives have a na- you know have a natural empathy for other human beings so if they see suffering they're gonna to want to you know, stop that suffering. And so one way of dealing with that is charity. Um, another way people would say um, individual charity is gonna to be too slow. You're gonna have thousands or millions of people dying. So we need to do something using the power of the government to move things quickly. Now, as Mike will say, there may be some just circumstances which demand immediate action that if you you know try and reorganize society you're going to have a billion people dead well you know we got to do something right now but that isn't changing the environment that maybe led to this happening so we have to go back and fix what all those institutions something is either denying access to the common good or there's a flaw in our institutions such as our money system Right now, it's designed either to support the programs of government, which gives government a lot of power, or in the case today, what it's become even more so, or um, largely speaking, it becomes a way for present owners of shares through Wall Street to be able to get money to acquire more shares and these are not growth shares these are speculative shares that they know they that they're going to use their money to acquire more and wait until the price goes up then they can dump them and make more money and then reinvest in some other shares so what the money system is doing rather than financing private sector growth to make more goods and services that people want and need it's just starting to create money that first of all in the beginning just was uh, backed by government debt and now they're using that kind of government debt-backed money to help rich investors on wall street purchase more shares with you know with the idea well this is going to create more jobs well that's not what creates jobs speculation doesn't create jobs i always
2: love that this is going to create 1.2 million jobs You guys just throw a number on the air at the wall. That goes back to my original thing before off-topic. I go, people as a whole are stupid. If anybody believes (laughs) a a politician, you know, I'm going to create 600,000 jobs. This is going to create 500,000 jobs. And you buy that. I have some property on Mars I need to sell you that's on the beach.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, people there's nothing you know jobs are good to the extent that you really need someone's skills their labor to be able to produce something that's going to be valued by someone else that's important but we're starting to shift to a point where human labor is going to be you know too expensive uh too inefficient you could do things certain things a lot faster with the technology we have to start looking beyond jobs as a source of income. And that's getting back to Mike's point about the binary nature of.
2: But before you people. go on, you get already yeah. today, you have Walmart getting rid of all the people that do the do the well, your cashiers. It's all self-checkout. Uh, you got yeah. the UBI coming down even hard, faster anymore. You got the minimum wage being pumped up to $15 an, uh, an hour for literally everywhere. And you got there was a there was an article the other day of how do we train these people uh, to for these new jobs? Just like we brought up my, uh, the last time or a couple times before, Schwab talks about how do we ch- how do we get truckers out of into yoga instructors? How do we teach? How do we teach people to be these new woke jobs?
1: Yeah, and you know that's actually a, a good point. Is that it can either be very silly. In other words, you have other people in the government determining, oh, well, let's see where to put you now that, you know, we're going to have to give you your universal basic income, in other words, welfare, "Uh, what sort of job can we come up with? Well, there are going to be a lot of areas of economic work, which are still going to be needed for, you know, quite some time. But then, you know, I think any of the the social encyclicals are gonna look at work as something beyond just economic work. And Louis Kelso and Mortimer Adler looked at, if you had a society where everyone was economically self-sufficient, in other words, they, were, they owned things that could generate an independence income for them, and they didn't need to do toil economic work you know, what kind of work, what would they do? And in a good society, people should be learning how to do the work of, well, not only self-development, but uh, the work of civilization. Uh, How do you contribute to the arts, to uh, medicine, to law, many different things to teaching, the kind of work that is um, intrinsically human Uh, that you are able to grow, but you're also able to enhance the environment around you, the social environment, and, and, and leave something to the world when you're gone.
0: So, Yeah, which is what Aristotle was talking about, you know, with man as a political animal. What is it that the fully developed human person does in the Greek polis? Well, if you're a man, of course, and you own a lot of slaves, you keep your women locked up and you let the slaves do all the work. while well, you go down to the marketplace and discuss things, or you engage in sculpture, or you write great works of literature. Well, of course, we're talking about all human beings being able to engage in this leisure work. And instead of having slaves, we'll have technology that we own. The key, of course, is that you do have to own it. You can't just wait for the government to hand you out what it thinks you should have. You have to be productive through either your labor or your ownership of technology so that you can have an adequate and secure income which will enable you to engage in that work which helps you grow and develop as a human person, that is to become virtuous in the Aristotelian sense, more fully human and thus, help build civilization so that other people can do the same thing that you're doing. See, we're political animals. Our acts are not just ourselves alone, but they relate to all others in the the polis, the, the organized community, which also explains, you know, a very key concept, private property. A lot of people think that, Oh, this is the thing that I own. And, you know, frankly, in most everyday speech, it doesn't matter whether you call something that you own your property or you more correctly define it as property is the right I have to or over a thing in relation to other human beings, not to the thing itself. But wait, Mike, I
2: I, I hear that we're not going to own anything and we'll be happy and we'll be able to rent everything and drones are going to. Basically, poop out uh, rainbows from the sky, and they'll be showered upon us, and we won't have to
0: work. Come on, what, what are uh, you talking uh, about? Yeah, uh, you know the the fundamental principle of Roman law was that everything has its proper owner, and when they said everything, they meant everything, even other human beings. But that's not the point. The point is that when these, I, I. I think I, I'm not sure. but I think when these people talk about no one will own anything, what they mean is that no one will have the exclusive right to anything and no one will have title to it. If they thought about the you know the the implications of that, if you don't own where you live, if you don't own the clothes, if you don't even own the food that you're eating, What's to stop somebody else from just taking it? I mean, you've got your hot dog halfway down your throat and they come and take it. Well, why not? You don't own that. What about that nice clo- those nice clothes you're wearing? Well, I'll strip you naked, and just kick you out in the street because I want them and I'm bigger and stronger than you. When someone says that no one will own anything, what they mean is that might makes right. Whoever has the most power will take what he or she wants and to heck with you.
2: That might be a good uh, little social experiment to do on the street if somebody comes up to you and starts blowing that smoke up to you. Because I remember a priest told me, it was a sermon on absolute truth. And uh, I actually did this uh, to a guy that I was renting. I was sharing a house with. There was four of us guys. And he was one of those, oh, the tree doesn't exist. Or anything. There's, no moral, there's no morals or anything like that. He was the second person in a week that told me something that dumb. And he goes, oh, there's no morals. We make up our own. I go, oh, yeah, well, let me have your wallet. I need your credit card. What? I go, I need to buy some things, and you're going to buy it for me. So let me have it because I'm not stealing, and you can have it back when I'm done. He goes, well, no, that's fine. I'd be theft. Whoa.
0: (laughs) It it all changes when it gets personalized. Yeah, it sounds like when, when Boswell and Johnson were taking a walk one time, and Boswell was kind of egging Johnson on because he knew he had a temper, And he was talking about these people who were saying that well you know these things around us don't really exist they're just ideas in our own mind which of course boswell didn't agree with he just wanted to see what johnson would say and of course johnson being johnson got all angry and when boswell said well how would you refute it and johnson says i refute it thus and he goes and kicks a boulder by the side of the road and of course limps for the rest of the day (laughs) I literally had this one guy, we, I, was at the, I was
2: working at a gym in Denver, and uh, this we're just shooting the breeze because we're waiting for the, the managers to get done with this individual meeting. And he goes, there's no floor. It's kind of like that whole matrix, there is no spoon. I asked, there's no floor. What do you call this? And I just start stopping on the floor. He was so mad, they had to get other people to restrain him. <laughs> you are a troublemaker Steve and the problem was the managers were backing him up oh don't worry about it he doesn't know what he's talking about I'm Going, we're, I'm surrounded by morons here
1: <laughs> well you know I, I think that's one of the problems you know in modern society is really a rejection of absolutes
0: and there are absolutely no absolutes yeah and I'm and, absolutely sure of that yeah, absolutely sure yes yeah,
1: so when everything becomes a construct of each of our minds and there is no common, you know, understanding of, okay, what is true? What there? they're facts which are little pieces of the truth that you have to put together and there is maybe a larger context which maybe we don't fully grasp, but there, if we don't have a sense that there's something that is there that whether or not we like it it's there that is the truth then we're gonna you know really the, the concept of right and wrong goes out the window it's whatever you or i decide is right and wrong and therefore if i want something it is not wrong to take it from you or you get on my nerves it is not wrong to kill you you know so it things start to snowball and and, and i think that and this again goes to the nature of human beings as individual with their own perceptions they got you know their senses are not exactly the same from person to person so they're going to perceive things differently so you got that aspect of human beings but you also have something which there's a larger something larger than any one of us and it it really it dictates much of how our lives proceed the consequences we face if we violate something if we do something that maybe we don't acknowledge but um you know if we go around saying it's okay to punch people in the faces if they get on your nerves you know just go out in public someone's a little bit rude and you punch them in the face well we're gonna have a lot of people walking around with bloody noses and probably things will escalate from just a punch in the nose So we we do have to have a sense of, you know, certain fundamental things like truth, and that's a good starting point is truth, whether we like it or not, let's, let's look at all the facts, let's understand perceptions, you know, how they fit into this, but something actually happens. So let's start with that, then notions of justice if justice becomes something that you know it's what i think it is or you think it is or the elected officials they think it is then that's going to be a problem because each of us has to have a sense that there is there is something called justice we're imperfect we're trying to understand and that's why we keep fixing our institutions by the way because we aren't god we don't know all things so human creations are tend to be defective, or there's some no, there's imperfections. So we have to have a sense that there there is truth, that there is justice, that we're trying to reach and conform to these sorts of um, absolutes that exist. They, they are beyond us. It's something, and that, you know, and, and that becomes you know, whole quest in itself. You can get into a lot of philosoph- philosophical arguments. But otherwise, if we don't have some common values, some universals, then we're then we're accepting that human beings will always be at war, and that is the natural state for human beings is to be at war with each other, and it becomes down to who has more, you know, might, this you know, strength. It could be in arms, it could be in economics, whatever. That that's going to make right. So we have to decide to think as a world what. Let's figure out what are a couple universals that we all agree to live by as human beings? And if this has to, you know, there are going to be certain qualifications. Does this enhance the freedom of every person, their ability to develop, or is it it blocking off opportunity? So I think this is a conversation which we, we have to engage in, and education needs to ask these questions.
2: I think that's a good way to segue into next time with the private property discussion
1: yeah yeah, perfect yeah we can go more into that but I, you
0: know i think segue into the whole discussion on the decline of catholic schools big article in the i think it was the washington post today uh-huh. about how you know especially with the pandemic and you know the increasing cost of edu- of catholic education enrollment is of course they call it plunging and I suppose six percent nationwide is is a plunge but I it looked like what they were building up with was basically a decline of education all around yes, are, yeah becoming I mean, more obvious in the, in the Catholic schools because they're a little bit closer to the edge they don't get public funding
2: yeah I mean they Catholic schools anymore are just glorified uh, expensive public schools they don't teach the faith they I mean the one the one I grew up in, even when I was in grade school there, I don't remember being taught anything except communion hand. Uh, we did have some Ursuline sisters there. They're not there anymore. They were gone. They're gone. They were kicked. They were kicked out by the priest that came in later. But they were down to about for six grades. We had nine at the time, and now they're down to like six. I think six total grades. There were under eighty people, eighty kids, and we had twenty to thirty per. Uh, grade when I was in there, at least 30, I think. And uh, I don't know how the heck that thing ain't dead, but uh, it's gone. It's, yeah, some of these things need to go away because one, you're not getting anybody teaching. You're getting these people that got to pay too much for the, the lady to come in to, to teach. They're not teaching anything. They're teaching pirate how to speak like a pirate day. Yeah, that's <laughs> what. Let me pay $30,000 to have my kid talk like a pirate. Yar. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so it, it's worthless get rid of it it's just like uh, it was, remember uh, Father did a sermon on a city uh, of acontism talking and comparing it to the earthquakes in Italy this was years ago and people were complaining about the, ch- the beautiful churches being destroyed he goes why y'all left the faith what good is it anymore to have them they're just museums they're just people for tourists to come in let them be destroyed same thing with the, the schools good they can't teach error anymore. They can't teach heresy to the kids. They can't be poisoning our kids. Yeah, I'll get controversial.
0: <laughs> let, let the Catholic school system go crap, go down. They they deserve it. Yeah, this actually segues into you know the great circle here. The reason for economic personalism and man as a political animal and engaging in leisure work. Uh-huh. One of the reasons for the decline of Catholic schools is, as you point out, economic. Fewer people entering religion to with their vocation as a teacher. So you have to pay the lay teachers much more. Whereas suppose that everyone had an independent income and someone who, like uh, Don's brother, decided, I'd rather be a teacher. The next question he had to ask was, can I afford to do that? Rather yeah. than, do I really want to do that? So if I had an independent income, would I want to teach a bunch of little pointy-headed kids? Maybe. But in order to be able to get public funding or to be able to pay people or to attract students that won't come because they're getting watered down, whatever it is, doesn't matter what religion you're talking about, you better be standing for something if you expect people to pay that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You better give him something. Uh, oh, promote your book. Good. Book. Book. Oh. oh, yeah, book.
1: <laughs> economic Personalism. There we go. Two copies of it. Yep. You can uh, go to www.cesj slash economic personalism.
2: You'll be in the That's show notes underneath the video.
1: Yeah, good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but,
1: um you can get through that uh site it's all it's on amazon um you can purchase it through amazon but if you go to the link on cesg.org what's that
0: and Barnes and noble and ba- right and Barnes. i don't noble. want to give amazon exclusive anything at this point
1: okay yeah good point but there are also for those who want to check out the book um you can download a free pdf version of it we Hope you will like it so much that you will buy the printed version. But we also hope that people will look at it, um, study it, uh, let us know if they have arguments with it, uh, refer other people to it. Now it's very inexpensive; you just send them a link to the PDF. But
0: and then buy massive quantities in hard copy.
1: Yes, we would appreciate that too if you if you and like the also book.
0: So put up laudatory reviews on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Yeah
1: exactly but you the wouldn't idea,
0: mind if you you know had hired a skywriter and put it up there or had a billboard or something
1: yeah so you, you know go go crazy with it but i think the idea of economic personalism it's it's very timely that we start this discussion and that we also as mike said that the concept of personalism as it was defined by uh, pope john paul ii that's a very specific definition and approach to it and that this the same basic concepts which focus on the dignity and um, empowerment of every human being that is at the heart of economic personalism it's just that now you can take the concept and look at it in terms of ownership property power um, money and credit and looking at the sound uses of those things and in economic institutions and economic policies and you can look at them now in a different way as in terms of dignity empowerment liberty those sorts of things
2: good all right everybody get the book it's underneath in the show notes the links below and uh yeah michael don thank you and we'll talk to you guys next time
1: okay thank you steve enjoyed it